Hello and welcome to the How to Exit podcast, where we introduce you to a world of small to medium business acquisitions and mergers. We interview business owners, industry leaders, authors, mentors, and other influencers with the sole intent to share with you what it looks like to buy or sell a business. Let's get rolling. And now a moment for our sponsors. I want to highly recommend you get Acquisition Aficionado magazine. Every month, Acquisition Aficionado magazine brings you tactics for business buying and selling you won't find anywhere else. Learn firsthand from industry leaders who share their success stories, featuring in-depth interviews and stories from leading figures in the business acquisition industry. This multi-platform mobile magazine speaks to acquisition entrepreneurs wherever they are in the journey. And I want you to visit acquisitionaficionado.com today. Hello and welcome to the How to Exit podcast. Today I'm here with Robert Nance. Thank you for being on the show. He's the CEO of Zipmalu Investment Group. Did I pronounce that right? That's the private equity firm, but Small Biz Acquisitions is what is the little acquisition firm that we're okay. partnering partnering with people right now. The Small Biz Acquisitions Group. Okay, cool. So let's start, let's just kind of start start off in your origin story. How did you get into investment and leading up to the skill set you have now and what you're up to? Kind of how did you get started? Many years ago, I used to build companies, a couple of restaurants, a little manufacturing company, and this was back in the 90s, so 93, 94, built a little manufacturing company and sold it for some real estate in Dallas, Texas, and some cash and two free and clear pieces of real estate. Quickly realized that the actual value of the real estate was greater than the perceptual value. And as you buy on perceptual value and you can get loans on actual value. <clears throat> and the reason is the area was, a, was an area in transition. And so over the next year and a half, two years, about, actually about two and a half years, I bought 125 pieces of property. And this led up to 1999 when I bought my 125th piece that included, it was a 20,000 square foot building downtown Dallas, but it included a Mexican meat distributor doing $6 million a year in sales. I was like, what the hell are you going to do with a Mexican meat distributor? I said, I don't know. I, had, I have no idea. But it was free because the building, in, in, in effect, it was free because the building was paid $1.2 million, I think, for the building. And that was the building and the business. And the building was worth a little bit over one point two for us. So we got in and I had about 100 people, but between 80 and 100 people working, mainly in the real estate division. Some pretty smart people helped me decide what we were going to do with the business and just made a lot of money in the business, just turning it around, doing, just learning what to do with it. And since 1999, I think we're about 23 businesses now. That's how I got into buying businesses. Over that time frame, we put together a little private equity firm. I've been buying hotels in South America and I'm sitting in my house in Mexico right now, looking to buy real estate here. One of my biggest businesses is partner is this new business of partnering with individuals and in buying companies in the U.S. The market's come back since COVID. It's turned around 180 degrees and we're back in, in, interested in buying businesses in, in the U.S. That's my story. So when we, before we turned on the mic earlier, we were chatting a little bit, talking about why <clears throat> you're getting into this space, helping other people buying business, needing operators, needing partners, needing successful mm -hmm. people, because you just can't be everywhere at once. Can you tell us a little bit about what you're looking for in an individual or what you're looking for as far as somebody wants to get into this space as acquisition entrepreneurship? Sure. Typically, it's identified a target market as between 35, 45, maybe 35 to 50, someone who's been in working in management for five plus years, ready to step out on their own. And I find that there's a lot of people that are interested in that since COVID hit. And I don't know why, and it may have been before I wasn't in this market of bringing on partners who we were buying ourselves, but there are a lot of very experienced individuals who are ready to buy the business. They just don't know how. There are a lot of people running a lot of ads too for it. So it's kind of getting notified. It reminds me a little bit in that real estate space. Cause I was, you come from real estate. I come from real estate at the a residential level. But if you remember about 15 years ago or more, there were ads constantly. People are traveling in all these cities. These guys were trying to teach wholesaling and getting 
make your living, make a living getting into real estate. That same phenomenon is going on right now with the don't build a business, buy a business. There's a huge number of people travel around trying to teach it. That's both good and bad. It gets notoriety, gets the word out, but not everybody that is going around teaching it maybe should be. So <laughs> you think, you think, so one of the reasons that we talked, you and I talked a few weeks ago before I took my, my, my little hiatus I take with the kids when they're off. One of the reasons I wanted to have you on here is because I like your model of partnering. I know I've done a few of the courses just because I like meeting them. It's like going to college. You can learn everything you want to learn by going into the library, checking out the books and learning. What you go to college for is the networks and the people. So when I take somebody's course, I look at like who has the big networks, who has people and resources and stuff. So that I like. But I also notice out of all those people, it's the standard. Same way with real estate. 98% of the people that ever pay three, four, five grand, 10 grand for a course never do a deal, right? So mm -hmm. with your model, I see that there's a potential for something different there. So talk about your model and what you guys do that differentiates yourself from your standard, take a course and go buy your own business. <clears throat> well, I'm a buyer. I don't teach courses. I don't have courses. I've been buying for, I guess, 23 years now, since 1999. The only thing that we can't physically do at this point is feed on the ground operations. I still have all the back end CEOs, CFOs, director of sales. They're ready. They're outsourced. We use, we have them to support the partners and I've aligned myself with the partner, not against them. I don't sell any courses. If we don't buy a company, nobody makes money. And so it's simple as that. We come in, I'm able, luckily at this point, I'm able to cherry pick my partners because of the Facebook group, people come into the Facebook group, they reach out to me, we talk, and we either, I either decide to partner with them or they may decide not to partner with me, but we, if we decide to partner together, we just move forward. We start from the beginning. The, everybody has skill sets. Typically, when you come into a new industry, they're all soft. I help convert those over to hard skill sets. And we, regardless of what your history is, your skill sets are, we start from the beginning. Who are you? We create a roadmap to the first acquisition, industries, geography, are you going to be local? Are you going to be national? We just create the roadmap and then we move forward. Before we even contact a broker, it takes about a month to create this roadmap, to figure out who you are, to get your family involved, to understand that this is going to be a life change, a life changing event because we're buying companies here. There's nobody, I can say that because it's fairly new, nobody has come into my program to my partnerships that's not bought a company yet or that's not on their way to buy a company we've got because i do it i'm there with every single person i negotiate every single deal you're on the phone with me but i'm negotiating these deals i'm teaching you how to create a pipeline how to create a pipeline of companies that once you that we're able to actually buy companies we're able to have leverage in negotiations there's tens of thousands of companies for selling the u.s right now in the industries that we target we're just needing people to help run them once we buy them and once you go through this whole course you've got the skill set for free to buy a company for the rest of your life anytime you want now you have the skill set because you went through this with me and we bought a company together it's yours it's your skill set so you talked about the the skill set i mean into the picture was some, with some industry experience knowledge management knowledge and stuff what other requirements are like other is there a capital requirement somebody needs no. to have x number of dollars down Okay. No, no, we bring all the money. We bring all the skill set. It's a perfect model. We bring the down payment. We bring everything. We've got the skill sets to buy the company. We've got the skill sets to help operate the company after the fact. We've got the money for the down payment. We're just looking for real partners who want to run, who want to own businesses. And we typically split 60 40, them 60 us 40. So it's a, you own a business for literally nothing because we're putting the money down. We're giving you the skill set. It's going to take time. It's going to take 60 to 90 days to start really negotiating these deals, to get into the, to the negotiation. It may take 120 days to buy it. It may take 90 days, depending on you. If you're working full-time, we do this once, twice a week. I teach you how to create the pipeline, work the pipeline. And it takes an hour and a half a day to really work the pipeline correctly. I heard you briefly say industries you guys are buying. Is there... A particular set of industries or a particular <clears throat> set of industries you would avoid or? Yeah, there is. Yes to both. We look at boring, asset heavy industries, baby boomers retiring, ready to go. 
We don't focus on any type of high growth, uh, high margin industries. It's just not there. We do LBOs. We use a lot of the assets of the company to buy the company. And there's just so many of these asset laden companies out there that the sellers are just stagnant. They've been stagnant for years because they're just ready to retire. They're there now. They're ready to retire. And the leverage is all, we have all the leverage. The buyers right now have all the leverage because there's more supply than demand. Even though there's getting to be a lot of demand in this industry, there's more supply than demand. Yeah, a lot of the supply is kind of unrecognized supply too in that they're not listed with a broker. They're hitting that age where they need to sell. They know they need to sell. They just haven't pulled the trigger. So there's a lot of opportunity there. So you guys do your sourcing of deals strictly through the brokers or do you do outreach once you've identified a target or something or a industry that is a match for an individual do you guys do you know outreach other than just reaching out to the brokers no 100 percent through brokers brokers bring a phenomenal skill set to the table if you think about it and when i'm we're building the pipeline we have 15 to 20 companies at all time in the pipeline between stages one through 20 there's about 20 stages in each pipeline that i've created and you just work it. There's no way to do that without using, utilizing brokers. Just th if you think about that, the skill set that the broker brings to the table, it's phenomenal. Now you can get some bad brokers, but still, even a bad broker is going to connect you with the seller. And I can get rid of the broker quick, just move him, remove him and start talking directly to the seller. But without the broker doing the preliminary work, it would be prohibitive of a first-time buyer, and that's what we focus on, first-time small business buyers, it would be prohibitive for, really for anyone except for someone with a larger firm who have people out there sourcing deals. You can't do two, two full-time jobs. Buying a company is a skill set you don't, that you don't know. I'm giving you that skill set, but over a time frame. There's no possible way you can also be learning how to be a business broker as well. It's just impossible. Kind of walk us through the process. Somebody, they reach out to you, they join your Facebook group. It sounds like you do some form of calls or some form of surveys or something to learn who they are and what they're about. Uh, walk us through the process a little bit of buying what's, I guess I'm making an assumption here. How do you know what in, which individuals are the right for which industries and stuff? You're looking for key, really good operators, right? You're not going to stick somebody that's been in manufacturing all their life out and try to get them to run a service company or a pest control company. They just don't, it's a shift, right? I'll answer the first question first. I, I strictly get my partners from our Facebook group. When you join our Facebook group, you're asked a couple of questions, email address, I think name, and then would you like for the small biz buyer, would you like Robert Nance to reach out to you? You have questions. Oh, and what's your biggest problem about buying your first business? And if you would like me to reach out to them, you just leave your phone number and I'll reach out to you. And I and we have a phone call. And regardless of what happens on the phone call, the Facebook group has a, a lot of material. I, my goal is to put everything that I have for free in the Facebook group. Now, it's taken a little time to put it out there, and I've got hundreds and hundreds of hours of live calls with my partners, and but I don't want to overwhelm everybody. So we're putting the information out as we can. And so everything in the Facebook group is free. You can go in there, you can learn exactly what the first month is in the one-on-one -on -one partnership. The difficulty is actually doing it. As you just, as you said earlier, most people who buy the courses just don't go through it. And I could probably create the best course there is based on what I, based on my knowledge, based on what I've done. And still, I would be in that 90 to 95 percentile that the people who go through it just don't buy it. There's just too many permutations that people go through in buying a company. There's no possible way, even a mentor that you call, you contact once a week or once a month can truly help you because his interests aren't really aligned with yours. And even though he's a great guy, there's no way that he's going to be able to spend enough time with you to answer all the questions. There's just too many issues in buying companies. Real estate, simple. Uh, you can create a course, you can go buy it. People just either they do or they don't. But in business acquisitions, it's very, very, very difficult to foresee all the potential issues. I can get that because <clears throat> inside of the real estate space for a little while, I was coaching individuals and stuff. I'd done a few hundred deals myself and over the years. And so I've started assisting people, answering questions and got asked to coach people. 
And it's interesting is you can give somebody a step-by-step -step plan, but even in real estate, things there's just so many variables that pop up. People will follow the steps until there's a slight variable that doesn't align with mm -hmm. what, the, what they thought that what their interpretation of what that step's supposed to be. And then they throw up their hands and go, well, that didn't work out. So exactly. inside of there's so many more things that can come up, go sideways, go different. As you should ask, because of something, something was said a certain way inside of the business, buying a business that I can see where, and I've seen even myself. It's one of the reasons I started the podcast, to be honest, I jumped out of real estate. I hired a performance coach, right? I was doing real estate. I decided I was kind of burnt out on that. Wanted to figure out what to do next. So I hired a performance coach. One of the things he said was you should be playing a bigger game. It's like, all right, what's a bigger game? I was already doing some commercial negotiations for some friends and stuff. I'd already actually convinced a lot of people at that time I owned part of or all of the, or was running the local real estate investment association. And so I had been encouraging a lot of my good friends to go into like apartments and multifamily. And where I was living, it was a very small community, Tulsa, Oklahoma of all places, right? I started thinking, well, if I go into that, like I have a marketing master's degree and the last company I went, I dominated the marketing. If I go into the apartment complex, I'm going to send every apartment complex within a 500 mile radius, a letter every freaking month. And I'm a copywriter mm -hmm. by trade. All these people I've told to go into this space, they're going to have our time because I'm going to be bidding against them on everything. So I thought, I don't really want to do that. Plus there's, it's just not my, I just didn't want to go into that space. So when I started looking what's next, I started looking at real, buying and selling businesses instead. I'm an entrepreneur at heart. I've started a few, I've sold a couple. And um, so I started looking at this. So instead of going back and getting yet like a fifth or sixth to college degree, <laughs> I'm like, who can teach me this in a hurry? So I did pay for a couple of the, those guys out there, mainly because I can pick up things and do it myself. Yes, that, some people can. Some people yeah. can. Some yeah. people can and run with it. But right. the majority... Only outliers. There's only two, three percent of the people can do this. And that's the same way with real estate. Only two or three percent of the people that ever pay a course get one deal done because they don't have anybody to lean on when things go differently than the book said. You can't write a hundred page book or even a thousand page book on a complex transaction because you can't. You're doing you're dealing with human psychology, you're dealing with mathematics of the financials. Everybody that owns an accounting software program, whether it's QuickBooks or one of the higher end ones, they all do it differently. Like most of these business owners are not CPAs. They, you know, if you're at this SBA or the small business or the SMB, the small business level, most of them are never even, the only accounting work they've ever had done is just enough to get their taxes done. So yeah. every set of books you get, that's one of the things that I would agree on the broker side. At least you get some standard set of look at what financials look like. One of the biggest jobs a broker does for the first four or five months they start talking to clients is make the financials look readable, right? Yep. That and give you the volume necessary to truly have the the supply you need in order to negotiate the way I negotiate because I negotiate tough you're going to carry 50 to 70 percent of the deal seller yeah. never you never bring in SBA financing on the first deal sellers always lie and if you do bring in third-party financing you're just stuck with it you always do the seller financing carry the paper the rest of it can be done in the down payment or done in the LBO the assets, but never bring in third-party financing on the, you just don't have the, first of all, you don't have the skill set. You don't have the skill set to do it, to do a true due diligence process. You don't have the money to do it. And so, uh, yeah, always seller financing. <clears throat> yeah, we were participating in the, I was participating, I was a chief marketing officer in a big marketing roll-up and I was shocked at the legal due diligence fees were for every one of those deals, right? Just because we were buying both nationally and a couple of them internationally. We were using good attorneys, but we were, we went through three, <coughs> four, three or four that I think the cheapest and you never, never, never go with the cheapest attorney. I think the cheapest was like 25, 30 grand for the small marketing firms we were looking at. So $5 million and under, and it went up from there. You say they don't have the money for the due diligence. That's one element. That's not financial due diligence. That's not the cultural side of it. It's not operational due diligence. That's looking, is there any legal liabilities that previously exist? A lot of liabilities, a lot of issues, but the contract takes care of a lot of that though, especially when there's the majority of, he's on our financing 50 plus percent. You just pay the bill and subtract it from the note. It's already agreed to. So you guys, you already have the LOIs and the purchase and sales Everything. contracts, yeah. all the contracts mm -hmm. in place. I keep circling back to this, but so at this stage of the conversation, somebody's met with you, you know who they are, you know what they, what their skill set is, and mm -hmm. you start talking to brokers. 
right? The sellers, you're after about a, after about a month. First of all, we have the story together, who you are. We put the financials together. We also pledge money to the financials, and so we're not gonna have issues with the financials. We understand exactly the industries we're going for, the SDEs we're looking at, seller's discretionary earnings, basically the net mm-hmm. income, but it's a different net income. We look at SDE. There's a little ebook in the group as well that, that explains all this if your the listeners don't really understand it. And it takes about a month before we even begin to contact a broker, before everything. When we get on that phone call, that first broker, it's about a 45-second elevator pitch. And when we get finished, the objective is for the broker not to have any questions. And so it answers every question. The worst thing you can do is have the broker start asking you a bunch of questions, and especially as a first-time buyer. So the test is perfect. It answers all the questions broker is going to ask. And the objective is that at the end, say, hey, just send me the NDA. I got my financials ready to send to you. Broker says, sound great. <laughs> and that's it. So you mentioned foot on the ground and having people are one of the cool things about having feet on the ground in the local. It's interesting is people that see you every day treat you differently once you leave, right? When you say feet on the ground, are you wanting the individuals that reach out to you, you're in your face group, they're in your program, they're working with you, your partners, you call them partners, they're not yep. or something, they're partners. No, so, they're my partners. Um, so your partners... You want them to be looking in their local market because their feet on the ground or, or are they going to have to move to a particular location? What's your game plan on about where they're physically located? That's part of that month criteria to the first acquisition. It's uh, part of the roadmap and one of them is geography. So we sit down and figure this out. Are you going to be local or are you going to be moving? What does your wife think? Everybody involved here. This is a life-changing event. But we're buying companies that are making 500 plus a year. So it, it's worth it. Right. If everybody, if, but everybody has to be on board. If it's a national search, if we're looking national, okay, so what cities? What cities do you want to move to? What cities do you want to be in? This is part of that month long process that we go through, these conversations that you have with your wife as my partner. Because the last thing I want is outside influences, not understanding what we're doing and wrecking this deal two or three months into it. Because I've spent a lot of time and a lot of money. In this deal. So you can't just in two months figure out, well, my wife says this. We figured this out in the beginning. And Probably, then we move forward. You made me laughing because I promise you, if it wasn't for my wife, I would have never moved back to California. I love the scenery here. It's absolutely beautiful. I'm sitting in a redwood forest. I drive to the ocean on a daily basis if I want to. I was telling you before the show, I'm in a tiny home. I might actually buy like a mobile podcast unit. I'll just go sit at the damn ocean and run my podcast and look out no, at the cool. water while I'm doing The coolness is with that that's cool. It's a bad environment for acquiring businesses and being like the taxes here are absolutely insane. So if you had asked me, if we were doing a search, you and I were working together and you said, where you want to go? I would probably list a bunch of places I wouldn't go. So I could see where that's important. There's some places where my wife would list that she wouldn't go. One Mm -hmm. of the reasons we're doing what we're doing is because we want to be able to move around. That's why we bought the tiny house. That's why we sold our little five acre farm. We want to be able to pack up and move when something sounds cool somewhere else. When I'm talking to business sellers, I was like, well, what does your wife think about this? What does your wife do in the business? That's a good question to ask a lot too. That's one of the first things we do. Typically, a seller, the wife is on that paper. Everything has to be done. And we do it in the beginning. I've been through so many situations over the 23 years that it's very difficult to get something past me. It's very difficult for me to forget something because typically it's on paper. The questions are on paper. That's in the first conversation with the broker and for sure with the seller. We just talk to them and figure out what they're doing, what their objectives are. I, I do the same thing with my partners because really we're partnering with these sellers. These sellers are the bankers. These sellers are going to be in our lives for the next five to six, hopefully 10 years if I can negotiate that. They're our partners too. Everybody's our partner. Everybody has to win in this situation. And we have to understand all the parameters, all everything that's going on in everyone's life, even though it changes. I have to structure a deal that's a win-win for everybody. And that's how we're successful. I listen. I'm good at listening. And I understand that even though sometimes sellers say one thing, they really mean something else. And I can flesh that out during the negotiations. I've been through a few of them so far where it just takes one person to be out of sync. I brought up on the show a bunch of times, there's a little soap company in Oklahoma. I'd say a little, it's doing a few million a year. It's an organic type of soap company. They make a few other products, but if you look at everybody involved in the transaction, the wife really wants him to sell. He's in his seventies, close to eighties. His son doesn't want to run anymore. He's a sales guy. His Typical. best friend, his, one of his best friends is, used to be a broker 
and bought a business from him. They're still good friends. He's the one that called me and says, hey, you really ought to talk to the guy. I know him because he wanted to be an investor in my real estate. So I knew him. He knew me. Okay, I'll talk to him. He doesn't want to. He's like, in his mind, all his friends that have sold recently passed away with one or two years. Like, I'm not ready to die. I'm not selling. This is what keeps me moving and keeps me out of my, gets me out of bed yeah. in the morning. So I get it. In his case, everybody around him says, hey, you just built a 750000 which is a lot of money in Oklahoma, a lake house. Your wife wants to go to the lake house and retire and enjoy life. And she's tired of going to work every day. And your son's kind of liking to use his degrees and do something differently. The seller's the one that's reluctant in that case. But it takes one cog in the wheel, right? One person that's out of sync. If the wife's like, nah, I really don't think we should sell that guy. Or even the son's like, hey, I really think after really thinking about this, I've been working here for 15 years. I'd like you shot at running it. You got to know that whole environment. Everything. Everything. <clears throat> and in one conversation, I can usually figure that out. Who's on board? Who's not on board? Who, who's the external influence that's going to that's gonna kill this deal? That's another reason why you use brokers. Because I've got 15 others behind. Okay, great. I'll put you on hold. We're here, no problem. Next, that's why you've got to have these 15, 20 companies in the pipeline. That's what I told him. So look, everything changes with time and circumstances. If it ever comes up to the point where you're ready to do something different, I'm here, man. Probably going to be interested then too. That's mm -hmm. just kind of where I left him because I'm not going to push somebody or try to negotiate somebody to do what they want because chances is you'll spend all that time at the last second they won't sign the doc. No, right? you can't. You can't push them. So well, I'm trying to follow a timeline here. So somebody's come with you. You've already spent the month. You know what they're looking for. You made that mm -hmm. first call with their broker. They're listening in with you on this conversation, right? Mm -hmm. You've already asked some questions. Some like you're starting to build rapport with that business owner. You've already built rapport with the broker, right? How do you know a yeah. deal's a good deal? How do you work with your your partners, the people that you're in your Facebook group and you're buying businesses with? How do you show them, pick this company versus that company? You've got three deals well, on the table. What is your criteria? Good question. At this point, we're a month into, they're already my partner. We're a month into learning what to look for. One of the first, let's say, tasks is to, once we finalize the roadmap, is to go out and find five companies you're interested in. And we get back together and we go over why these companies don't work at all, typically. Because you just don't know what to look for in the beginning. That's probably the first, uh okay, I get it. I get it. I understand. That's probably the first aha moment that they have because we really start targeting exactly like you said earlier, where I don't want to live and don't, where I don't want to buy. This is what we, you learn typically the majority of things in life is what not to do. There's only a few things that you learn that this is what I do. And so our first lesson is what we learn what not to do, what we're not looking for. And so I analyze each one of those deals and explain real quickly why it's not what we're looking for, why it doesn't fit our roadmap. It, it doesn't fit what you said. I see this in everybody, regardless of the intelligence level. I see it in everybody because it's just a novel experience. You've never done anything like this. And you can bring all your intelligence levels you can bring all your past history and everybody's the same. They don't know what they're looking for. So regardless of what I put out on the site, regardless of what books you read, you just don't know until you go through that first exercise. Then we go through the second one. And at that point, they're pinpoint. They know exactly what to look for and they're out bringing companies into the pipeline. So inside the pipeline, I insert myself in, at different levels. Typically in the beginning, it's at the level of uh, analyzation. So they go out, they get the NDA sign, they get the company info packet, and then we start analyzing them. <clears throat> and that's why I'm inserting myself in the beginning. We're still, we're talking to brokers. This is the second month. We're negotiating these deals. We're talking to brokers and we're analyzing the deals based on what the criteria of the roadmap is, which is the important piece. We don't do anything that's outside that roadmap, that criteria for first acquisition, unless we change it. If we change it, we never do anything outside the roadmap. We can change the roadmap because it's a living document. If it changes, if the criteria changes, if new knowledge causes you to have an epiphany and say, okay, I, I want to do this. And we talk it through. And if we say, okay, let's do this, we change the roadmap and we look for companies that always fit the roadmap. I'm negotiating the deals. So I'm reading, I can read financials pretty quickly. And so I'm teaching people how to read financials. I'm teaching you how to come in and look for these LBO type deals, these heavily laden companies. And what is what constitutes a target company for us? 
what does constitute it just by reading on biz by sale that's typically where we start biz by sale and we have a roadmap we know exactly what to look for and now we know exactly what not to look for so we start weeding down you start learning exactly what to look for inside these these businesses for sale thousands and thousands depending on where you are depending on if you're local if you're national and that's how you learn i remove myself from that analyzation once you learn how to analyze it and i insert myself in a little bit further down in the pipeline as you move through the pipeline, you're learning. Everybody, each individual is learning exactly what company is right for them based on their roadmap that we did for the first month. And again, if this new knowledge that you get changes that roadmap, we go change the roadmap. And so that's how you learn how to buy a business. At the end, it's, we buy it. You've been through the whole process. You have the knowledge base to buy a business and you just bought a business. <clears throat> You walked through that a little bit. Let's talk about some of the details inside of the middle there. We kind of covered up to the point now where we've talked about like you're on the phone with them, you're helping negotiate. Let's just let's kind of run the scenario. You got the business owner comes up with the price. You got you negotiate a price, and it's closing. It's time to do the due diligence. You've got your LOI signed, the letter of intent is ready, and you're starting to look at due diligence because you're doing owner finance. It releases some of the pressure of needing a deep expensive due diligence, but what level of due diligence do you and your team help that new partner with? All the due diligence, because we're the partner. We own 40% of this deal and we do all the due diligence. You'll learn that process going through it with me. It's much lighter than what you would expect because of my knowledge, what I look for, what I've been through what I know to look for. Now I do use CPAs. I do have them, but we have, I have a, a CFO. He does most of the deeper work, but he's on mm -hmm. staff. He works with me. <clears throat> and so it's not the way I structure the contracts. It's not necessary to spend 10 or $20,000 on due diligence. It's just not necessary because they pre-approve any outstanding liabilities, any, anything that's not disclosed in that contract and attached to that contract. And we close at a title company. Everything's done through the attorneys. It's just subtracted. It's just subtracted. If I have to pay it this month, that's just, I'm just subtracting it from your note. If you got a problem with it, okay, now we can argue that's, or we can figure it out. But I'm subtracting it from the note this month because I just paid your bill that you didn't tell me about. You can't do that with any type of other third-party lending. You pay the bill and you pay the note. That's just one of the reasons you don't bring in third-party financing. There's many other reasons, at least in the beginning. You can convert it out after, and I'll do this sometimes, after a year, let's say. After 18 months, everything about the business at that point, I don't have any issues bringing in third-party financing at that point. It's just that you cannot afford due diligence on a small business as a first-time buyer not knowing what you're doing. You just can't do it. There's just too many issues. I got it. You're talking about not bringing outside in financing. Do you guys do anything like, you said you're looking for asset-rich companies. Is that just because if something goes wrong, you have the assets to sell? Or do you guys do things like sell these back on the assets and other ways to fund the deal? No, I'm using the assets to buy the part of the company. Once that company is purchased, the day after, it's leaned. The, the seller mm -hmm. has a first lien against everything. And that's what mm -hmm. that's one of the issues I hear. Even last night, I was reading, some, I was reading one of the blogs and this poor guy, he said, well, I've got a 50% seller financing and the and a SBA is coming in. I said, well, who's going to be the first lien holder? SBA. They want to prove it. And I said, and I promise you the seller is not going to be the second. Nobody. This isn't real estate. If something goes wrong in a business, it's done. It's imploded. The first is lucky, lucky to get his money out. Real estate's real estate. You got a million dollar piece of real estate. You got a first lien of 600 and a second lien of 200. No issues. You can't really mess up a piece of real estate. You can break out windows and do things, but that, the value is not going down. A business, it's dead. If they have to come in and foreclose, the business is dead. They're not even going to get their 65 LTV, whatever the SBA is. And so a seller is not going to take it second. So I tried to nicely explain. I said, you need to think this through a little bit better because this isn't going to happen. And that's one of the structural issues back when you said earlier, how do you know if it's going to go through? That's one of the issues I look for. Okay, what is this structural issue that, that we have to, is there something we have to lean around? Is there some outside financing that we have to take care of? With seller financing only, they're going to get up, they're, they're going to get a hundred percent of the company as collateral. So if I put down 30%, they're going to get 
they're going to be collateralized 130%, the 30% I put down plus 100% of the company. So there's, when you're negotiating, it's very difficult for a seller to, to say, no, it's not, I'm not going to take 130% collateral. So, well, all right, what's wrong with the deal? Well, nothing's yeah. wrong with the deal. You're 100% collateralized. I'm giving you 300000 This is a million-dollar deal. I'm giving you $300,000 down at closing. That's $1.3 in a million dollar. You're collateralized $1.3 on a million-dollar deal. Tell me what's wrong here. So you just it's just part of negotiation. You back them into a corner, and they say, well, and then, and then they start thinking. You just change perspective in negotiations. Kind of, that's, how we, that's what we're pretty good at. The reason I was asking that is like I was saying I was going to head down the path of like what about debt coverage, debt coverage ratios and stuff like that because of the where you pull the LBO money from. But if it's your fund and you're investing money into the company and you're not taking on the liens because you're you're giving these people that 1.3 equity or sorry collateralized, then that kind of takes away the concern I would have is a company. One of the things I see is new buyers will go out and they'll go buy a company and yeah it's been running for the last 20 years. But they didn't have to cover the debt cover ratio, yeah. especially a lot of companies are cyclical, right? I own a little pest control company and pretty much November, December, we get our business drops way down when it starts getting cold there. Because other than mice, everything else runs and hides from the freezing cold in that market. Mm -hmm. Mice and bed bugs, cockroaches, I guess, is still, but like the ants and the termites and all the other things that go on. A, a lot of businesses are cyclical. But if you look at, if you buy the thing in the spring, you're looking like, man, this thing's making good money. And you kind of, people average things out through over the years. So they look at the yearly financials and you don't plan ahead far enough. You can get yourself in trouble if you got a big OSBA loan. And all of a sudden you're in the middle. Well, you get yourself in trouble with any loan, BA or seller financing. It's the same thing. It's the same thing, except there's no personal guarantee in seller financing. But yeah, you take that into consideration. You have to. The debt service has to be taken into consideration. Okay. Let's talk about the operations of it because we've already kind of talked about what it looks like to go in, negotiate, <clears throat> help buy, help close. You're closing a closing company. They own it, right? What are the day-to-day -day operations? Look we like? own it. Yeah, we own it. Sorry. Yeah, the, you and the partner own the company together. Yeah, we're partners in this deal. We're running this business yep. together. They're operations, and they right. own they own controlling interest. But we're there to support you. We're there. That's just bottom line is that's how we make our money. We don't make any money unless we close and we run these successful operations. We increase sure. sales, decrease liabilities, decrease costs. That's what we. That's what we. Our objectives. So they're the owner operator. Are they like at a CEO role with a, you have a fractional CEO they can lean on There's something like you or somebody that can, Hey, I'm in a situation. I've never been in yep. this situation before. How do you help me? So the operations is supported by your team. Also, you have a accounting team. It sounds like you have at least a CFO level person, even if it's fractional for each of the businesses that they can mm -hmm. lean on and get more in-depth questions if they have that type of stuff. So you probably have a tax plan around like tax reduction and make tax liabilities and stuff. What about for growth and stuff, do you have like a marketing team and other people? Director of sales. Yep. Director of sales I've worked with for years and years and years. He's semi-retired. He's the best salesman I've ever come across, ever mm -hmm. in my life. Just comes in and he's, he's very interested and he's coming on board with outsourced the sales team. He's leading the sales team, putting everything necessary in place. And then that's the key. Sales are the key. Increasing sales, increasing the volume, decreasing, decreasing cost. And that's what we, those are the two main focuses we look at after the acquisition to increase value. Now, another big piece is taking a company from a, I call it the absenteeism scale. And everybody wants to have an absentee run company. I'll say fully absentee is a number 10. And a guy who comes in every morning, opens the door and shuts it in, in the evening, that's a zero. So he's running the business every day. We look for about a two, about employees that have about companies that have about 10 or 15 employees about 15 20 years old and these employees have been oppressed or repressed for the past years because the sellers just don't want to grow they don't want to do anything and these guys have aspirations and i found this in every company i've ever bought every one of them there's always someone has been there or two people that have been there since the beginning that, that are just that just hate this guy <laughs> they just hate this guy but they're good friends but at the same time this good friends holding him down and not letting him grow and we come in and we identify those people and we just immediately give them the raises, give them the titles, and they have the skill sets to run these businesses. So, yeah, I'm looking for partners on the ground and you're going to have to be on the ground. Be a, I mean, you've got to commit to that because we can't do this conversion without a partner of ours being there. Typically six to nine months, we can convert that over. 
So in six to nine months, you take them from two where they're, I keep remembering the old Dunkin' Donuts commercials. It's time to make the donuts. He's the first one in, just made the every donuts. Day, yep. comes in like that's, every day. That's a one. That's a one. And then he's there. You know, you're trying to get them up to six, seven, eight, nine. Exactly. Somewhere. And it's easy and, to do uh, if you know how to do it because the people are there. They've got the skills. They've got the ambition. They've got the motivation. They just don't have that ability because the seller's keeping them down because the seller wants to retire. He's done. So, okay. They're out there now. I've had the company. I don't know what your typical holding period is. You've had the company partner with the partner for, let's say one, three, two, three. <coughs> He's running at a seven or eight. What's the next step? Are you going to do growth or acquisition by other companies? Tuck them in. You're going to look into helping exit. What's the long Everybody's, term? Everybody's, every partner's different. Okay. Every partner's different. Now, again, taking it from a two to an eight automatically doubles the value. Think about it. Doubles the value of that company. Takes it from a, it puts it in a whole different spectrum. Well, you're an owner operator or you're an absentee owner. That's a completely different spectrum. And so that right there at least doubles the value of that company. That's a pretty big hit, a pretty big win when we can do that. And that's pretty simple. But go back to your question, every partnership is different. What is your objective? I don't talk about roll-ups ever inside this group because there's just everybody in my group wants to buy their first company. But you've asked the question, so I'll tell you, I'm a buyer. I buy companies. That's what I do. That's what I've done. And that's what I love to do. So if I have a partner that wants to continue with me, this first piece is to just require one company. And then you're on your own unless you want to partner with me. So there's no long-term commitments. It's the first deal. I'm going to teach you. We're going to buy a company together. At the end, you're going to have the skill set to go buy whatever you want, whatever company you want. And you can do it with me or you, you don't have to. If you do want to, I'm absolutely interested in roll-ups. That's really how you make money. That's how you make a lot of money. But again, we're just getting started with this model. And I don't like to talk about too many stages out. But yeah, absolutely, I would that reason I was asking is like, you classify yourself as a holding company, you classify yourself as kind of an intermittent. It's not like you do a mix. Usually like you'll hold when the partner wants to hold, you'll help them exit when they want to exit. So if somebody wanted to go in, like there's some good people out there, they're really good at systems and processes and stuff, um, fixing broken stuff. And I'm kind of this guy, I made a name for myself in the tech industry for going in when operations were really low, high performance in tech companies and being able to get them up to the four nines, five nines, six nines, basically get them up to high performing and putting in operation procedures and stuff. But once everything that's broken is fixed, I get bored and go to the next company. It's like, okay, yeah. everything's working here. Nobody calls me at night and tells me something's broken. I grew out of that phase. Trust me. <laughs> I don't want to be called the middle of the night anymore. I got two kids and stuff. But the point is, is that People have different things that they're really good at. There's different phases and stuff. So I would imagine some of your clients, they want to go in, they want to grow something, put systems processes, and then they want to sell it and go find the next one. My partners. Your partners. I'll get it. I'll get it. We go. Everything, inside this model, I'm mm -hmm. very flexible. Inside mm -hmm. the business acquisition model, if I find someone who's great at it, who's great at turning this around, I'll buy them any company they want. Put them in, turn them around on the next company they want. I'm looking for operational partners. And if you're great at it, I hope to be your partner. I hope to be your partner in the future beyond the first deal. So, yes, it's all about buying businesses and finding the right partners. And that's really what we're looking for right now. I smile because I think that's the key in anything, right? Finding the right people. So I'm in a hiring phase right now. I'm looking for kind of a... Uh, I'm looking for somebody way organized, right? You know, I, I look at this, like I told a couple of people in interviews, like, look, if you turn out to be the right person, I own other things too. You'll be the right person. This you come in, you're hyperly organized. You get this thing up and running. And you've got a couple of projects that are going on, but it's just a key. I probably interviewed a dozen people and nobody's the right person yet. So you find that operator. That's just, that's what they do. They can, they have a particular skill set. You could find a partner for life on some of this stuff. Yeah, all my partners right now are great operators. Great operators. Yeah. They all own their own business right now. They call themselves solopreneurs. So they've got right. one or two employees, and they're ready. They've been running their own business. They, they're great operators. They don't really like the the long-term running, but they like getting in and changing things. And they're very technical-minded. And we're very close to buying our first deals. We're very close. Okay. <clears throat>
this is a new program. You guys are, you're, you're lining people up. You're about to ready to close your first deals and stuff. So you've been mining for a while, but I'm talking about you and your partners together. Let's make sure people know how to, what, where's the Facebook group? What is it called? Small biz acquisitions. Facebook. So they go to Facebook. <coughs> small they go to biz small acquisitions, biz, Facebook. Yeah. It's in its small biz acquisitions. I'll put that in the show notes for everybody. And then <coughs> you guys are, you got the website. Is that up and running now? The small biz acquisitions.com. It is. Cool. So I'll put that in the show notes. And then do uh, you want me to put your, you got a cell phone number here of how people yeah, want to contact you with that. In the, okay. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. I like, I'm looking for partners. I'm not selling courses. I'm not trying to, I'm looking for partners. And if you think you're a partner, call me. You, the phone number is there. I'll put my phone number out. It's my direct phone number. And uh, that's what we're doing. We're looking for partners. We're looking for great operational partners who have the expertise, may not have the money, may not have the, definitely doesn't have the knowledge. It's difficult to acquire business acquisition knowledge. I'm very open. I'm very accessible. I'm not a guy who looks at this as a, I'm a guy who looks at, I'm looking for partners. Wouldn't disrespect my potential partners by saying, oh, go through this person and this person and book a call on my calendar. No, just call me, text me. I don't have a calendar. I don't have I don't do that. I find that to be fairly disrespectful. And even though I'm getting overwhelmed, I do have someone who keeps my calendar. But partners, call me. Contact me. Cool. All right. What's the big takeaway? If somebody, they heard a podcast, they listened to you, and they can only remember one or two things from the call today, what would you want them to remember before they, like, as part of what we covered? Buying a small business is very difficult. You need someone to help you. I'm looking for operational partners, people who are ready to take that step. If you fit that, I'd love to talk to you. I appreciate you, man. I really enjoyed what we talked about here. Is there anything else you want to add before we go? I don't think so. Anything that you can think of that I didn't answer? I know we went through the process. Just um, don't be scared to buy a company. Don't be scared to get into, go into the Facebook group, small biz acquisitions, and just look around. Go into the guides. Listen to the videos, the audios. This will be in there eventually for a portion thereof. Buy a company. That's Buying a company is the fastest way to change generational wealth. Awesome. I guess that's a good question. Do you have any support for some of these guys? They've been working, a lot of these guys, they've been working for the same company for 10, 20, 15, 15, 20 years, whatever. They own a company now. Now their income is significantly increased and not knowing how to manage that change can get themselves into problems too, right? They buy a bigger house, buy a fancier car, and then the next thing you know, they're in trouble because they overleverage their personal life. Do you work with them on how to manage that new increased income or suggestions, or you just look for that trait before? I look, for, I, I, look, I, I look for the trait beforehand. I look for that trait beforehand. I don't partner with 20-somethings that still have something to prove and has still have to go buy the, all the Mercedes and the Lambos. That's not who we are. We're guys who buy boring companies that make a lot of money. And once we do, once you do that, you can go get your houses. I've got the houses. I've, it, it's just that you have to do it methodically. And I watch that. I can see those traits quick. Partners are guys like me, serious guys that have run their companies that make money. These guys are already making money. And they just want to step up to the next level. Got it. Just curious on that, just because I know some people that only acquired a company that's doing mid seven figures, eight, $10 million a year in revenue. And mm -hmm. within the first six months, they went out and bought a house that's five times bigger than there's bigger than they need. They went out and bought two $100,000 pickup trucks, four T-Rexes. And I mean, they're just, <coughs> I get it. You got the new money. Right. Yeah. It's that nouveau reach. You got the new money, but yeah. man, you're just, they're still figuring out how that company runs. What are you doing? Right. Yeah, and cool. I look for, I look, I look for those traits. I've got a certain background that allows me to look for traits and listen, got a degree in psychology. I'll listen to that. Just listen. Everything has to fit together. My partnerships, the sellers, everything has to fit together to form a great business, small business acquisition. It's, but it's a great world. It's a great life. It, but it's a life that I find that most people just come in and bounce around because either their intelligence level is too high and they think they can do it on their own. And some people can't. Again, some people can do that. Most can't, even with a very high intelligence level. And then some people are just too cheap to come in and say, hey, listen, I need this. I want this partnership. 
and they're just not really ready to commit. There's the diamonds that I've picked out so far that, that are just perfect partners, just perfect partners. And that's what I'm seeing more and more. Each conversation I have that reach out to me from the Facebook group, they're just perfect partners. They're just perfectly situated for what we're looking for in a partnership. All right. Before we go, you want to tell everybody what that is? You got an idea kind of a, that one more time, recap what you're looking for in that partner? I'm looking for someone who's motivated, who has a family, who's been in a management position for five plus years. That's ready. That's just ready to step out and own their own business, but just don't know how. All right, Robert. The, I wanna, the rest of it's easy for us. Okay. Well, cool. I want to thank you for being on the show today. We'll make sure one more time, tell everybody what your Facebook group is. Small Biz Acquisitions Facebook. All right. We'll put that in the show notes. <coughs> and uh, thank you for being here, man. Hang out for just a few seconds after I stop the recording. That's the sure. show, guys. Thanks for having me. Hey, it's your host, Ronald Skelton. I want to thank you personally for watching the show today and invite you to call our new hotline, 918-641-4150. That's 918-641-4150. Call us and tell us about our show. Ask questions. Uh, suggest a guest or even tell me about a business you have for sale and we'll reach back out to you. Again, that number is 918-641-4150. Call our hotline and leave us some information. Thank you. I want to announce our new channel partners, the ITX Marketplace. Since 1998, ITX has created $5 billion in value by selling more than 225 IT businesses in 20 countries. ITX works exclusively with IT-enabled businesses generating between $5 million and $30 million who are ready to be sold and M&A decision makers who are ready to buy. For over 25 years, ITX has developed industry knowledge that helps determine whether a seller is a good fit for their buyers before making the match. ITX Mergers and Acquisition Marketplace we have partnered with has a proprietary database of 50,000 plus global buyers seeking IT service firms, managed service providers, Microsoft service providers, software as a service platforms, and channel partners with Microsoft, Oracle, ServiceNow, and, self, and, and the Salesforce space. If you have an IT-enabled business, you're ready to sell, I want you to visit the IT exchangenet.com slash marketplace how to exit that link will be in the show notes visit them now